0: Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use a... Women's empowerment, personal development, small business marketing, relationships. Robert B. Foster is talking about it. Robert is a gym owner. He went from foreclosure to multiple six figures in 12 months. Helped thousands of women shed weight and inches while becoming more confident, and a six times gold medalist in the Transplant Games of America. Get ready for Shut Up and Grind. Here's your host, Robert B. Foster. right, welcome everyone, happy Sunday. It is episode number 30 of Shut Up and Grind with Robert B. Foster. So today I have a crew with me. So it's not not just me and one other guest, I have a crew. And we're gonna talk about the hot button topic of race relations. So why are we gonna talk about this? Mainly because people are afraid to have this conversation. People get very uncomfortable when you're having this conversation and things can get ugly, things can get heated. Well, I have a panel of people on today where we're gonna we're gonna display that you can have this conversation, you can have a tough discussion without getting immature about it. Because at the end of the day, that's pretty much what it boils down to is if people start name calling, start questioning people's education, and it turns into a history lesson, and then you end up talking about everything except the issue at hand, <laughs> right? So the issue at hand is, what is your experience and if your experience isn't the greatest what can you do to change your experience so that's that's the avenue that i want to put this this panel on you know down that path because anybody can talk I teach people how to take those experiences and turn them into powerful stories where they can, in turn, do podcasts, they can do blogs. They can be from the United States and talking on an Australian news station. Like, there's lots of options out there. <laughs> it's going back to the subconscious mind. Like, people don't realize that's our computer. So, people upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. Mm -hmm. And I realize that as things change, you have to upgrade. Like, you have to see the world differently. And as you said, you got to own your truth. That's where you have to eliminate the excuses. You got to make that game plan say, for me to get to that point to where I'm not on the side of the road questioning my life decisions, these are the steps that I have to get past. I should keep you up at night. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. You have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're gonna change your life and that's how you're gonna leave a legacy for your children and your family. You gotta know your worth. All right, happy Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Welcome to episode number 28 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. All right, so we are almost to the end of 2020. And for most people, it's been one kick in the face after another. The entire globe, 7 billion people were affected by this pandemic, And so many things have happened over the course of of, of the year. There has been some good, there's been some bad, there's been ugly, there's been tragedy. But I'm bringing on a guest today who happens to be a chief obstacle buster. That's the first one that I had on the show that's a chief obstacle buster. And that's how I know I'm finding the best people to come on this show because I have the best titles. Like the last four have just had phenomenal titles. And my guest today is no different. So. Getting back to the struggles of 2020, we've had wildfires burning out of control. We had the global pandemic, the U.S. election. That in itself was stress. People just tearing each other apart over left or right or whatever else. Racial division, protests, rioting, anti-police demonstrations, social distancing, mask wearing, lockdowns. Oh, my Lord. It's been one thing after another. So amidst all the chaos, though, people are thriving. And the question, every, this thing keeps muting me, and I don't know what the last thing I said was, but it muted me. So I'll just pick up where I left off. So amidst the chaos, people are thriving, and the question is how? So joining me to discuss this, how, as I said earlier, is Chief Obstacle Buster herself, Gail Sussman Miller. And Gail works with stressed women leaders and their employees who feel depleted by the uncertain world of work and who have lost their career joy. So let's give her a big round of applause. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) See, I told you I'm loud.
1: (laughs) Hi, Robert. This is great. I haven't had anybody celebrate my title like that ever.
0: <laughs> I saw that. I was like, that's awesome. Because, you know, you get the same old titles, you know, CEO and president, vice president, co-chair. I like yeah. this. I like this. Chief Obstacle Buster. That's solid. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. All right. So how, so I'm glad how, to be with you. Good. Glad to have you. So how how long have you been doing what you're doing?
1: About 19 years. It's a long time. Nice. All right. And how did you choose this field? Well, up comes that competitive nature, right? If they can do it, I can do it. Now, we Mm. didn't come for money. I've never had a private lesson. Uh, We didn't belong to a country club. So what I did is, you remember when we had the old wooden rackets? (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) That was me. Old Dan Smith, Wilson Smith. And um, I got a racket, and I would go down, and I would sit on the sidelines and listen to the pro teach the other kids. And I thought my mind's a sponge. That's how I'm going to learn. There's a point to my story here. The next thing I did is I started getting people that were much better than me to play with me because I thought if I can play with people better, I'll get better. And that translates into leadership and mindset. You and I talk about that right right in our business now because you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who's Who are you playing in the game? Who's in the game? With you, right? So I was very blessed. I got on the high school team and I played number six. Now, number six is at the bottom, but at least number six yeah. gets to play. Yes. And the other, girl from, the other girls on the team all came from money, all started when they were five, and they had a private coach named Jerry. And Jerry took a liking to me. And so he would do things like call me up and he'd say, Carol, I'm going to be working on Lawrence Forehand today. You want to come return? And I'd be like, yeah, because I was a sponge. And I learned. Mm. Now, my end of my junior year, um, my, I told you I'm from the deep south. My dad's got a really Southern accent, right? And he goes, he goes, now, Carol, you need to get a job or you need to get an academic scholarship. I can't send you to college. And I said, but dad, I'm going to get a tennis scholarship. Nice. He, he paused. He looked on his nose at me. And he said, like I said, get a job or get an academic scholarship. But part of the point of this story is, Robert, is there was someone else who had a vision for me. It was holding that vision that I could actually get a tennis scholarship. And so I chose to trust in someone else's vision for me until I could believe it for myself. Mm. I ended up getting three full offers. They weren't to colleges I wanted to go to. I got a half ride to LSU and I wanted to be an LSU fighting tiger. So I took out a half loan, excuse me, a student loan for the other half of the pay. And off I went. And guess what happened? I started, six, I started at number six again, right at the bottom. And one of the things I learned many years later from my mentor that I share when I'm speaking stuff in business, uh, his name was Keith Cunningham. He wrote an amazing business book called The Keys to the Vault. And he said, everybody starts at the back of the line. You got to get in line and stay in line. The question is, how long can you hold the vision? Yes. And so often I find with entrepreneurs, we're looking for our family or our friends to hold that vision for us. But God didn't give our vision, our dream to them. He gave it to us. So we're the ones that are responsible for who's in the game with us, who's lifting us up and who are we surrounding ourselves with. So there I was at LSU <clears throat> playing number six and uh, had a pretty good year. My first year gave my coach a lot of heart attacks. I lost a lot of first set. <laughs> I was a slow starter. And when my teammates all took off for the summer, I went and got on the 21 and under tour. And I tell leaders in business, sometimes you have to be willing to practice when other people are resting. It doesn't mean that you never rest, but sometimes you have to make that decision. And that's what I did. Yes. At the beginning of my sophomore year. Guess what happened? What happened? We had tryouts and I went from number six to number two. Nice. and then by the middle of that year i went from number two to number one and then i got a full ride and became team captain for three years
0: All right L- so, let me let me stop you right there before before you continue because you've you've uncovered a lot already yeah and so one thing one thing i want to zero in on i was actually on someone else's podcast last night saying pretty similar things to what you were just saying but one thing that one of my mentors always says is be so good that they can't ignore you and mm-hmm. so, so when you were talking about not coming from from money, couldn't afford the private lessons, but that other coach still took notice of you, yes, and still invited you in somewhat. And mm-hmm. and I just started thinking of my mentor saying that to to us because she she tells us every time we we have a coaching call, it's like be so good that they can't ignore you. And so I just wanted to reiterate that for for people who maybe haven't come. From money, privilege, whatever you want to call it, and meaning, meaning economic privilege, and sure. and you know, you, like you can't afford the private lessons or anything of that matter. That doesn't that doesn't make a difference. Like if you're so good that people can't ignore you, doors will open. Absolutely, mm-hmm. okay.
1: absolutely. I love the way you stated that. Yeah,
0: thank you. Okay, so continue, sophomore year, tryouts. You were up to
1: number two. Up to number two. Uh, then I made it up to number one and became the team captain for three years. And what's interesting is I loved having that leadership role, never knowing that I was going to end up becoming a business leadership coach. And so when you look back, I always say you can see God working when you look backwards. Yes. And so not only did I, I trust in someone else's vision until I could believe it that got me to LSU, it's actually what got me to take the next step in my career. So there I was in 1987 going through a divorce. I knew I did not want to be a tennis teaching professional the entire, for the rest of my life. And my car caught on fire. Oh my so God. Who, who do you think I called my, the insurance company? Wouldn't pay for it, Rob. So I called my dad. Yeah. My dad says, now Carol, you know, I'm not in that kind of insurance, but if you come <laughs> home, I know somebody help you get a car, even if you don't have a job. So all I went, deep yeah. south, right? through port, Louisiana now. And I get a new car and I hustle over to Dallas, Texas, and I lived with my second cousin. She was um, head of personnel for Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. Now, this is back when the U.S. government had just broken up the monopoly of AT&T and all the baby bells. This is when oh, yeah. long, long, distance competition came in. Right. Sprint was born and MCI was born. I got hired by a company called Media Communications. And the lady said, will you come in and meet my boss, the vice president tomorrow? And I said, sure. So get all dressed up the next day. Go back in there. She interviews me. She kind of sits back and she says, I'll see you in Miami in a week. And I set up and I said, no, you won't. Now, mind you, I need a job. (laughs) I said, you have an office in Dallas. I'm interviewing in Dallas. My friends from the tennis tour are in Dallas and my family is three and a half hours away. I'm working in Dallas. And she calmly looked at me again and she said, but I need somebody really strong in Miami in a week. And I pushed back again. I was like, how do you know I'm strong? I've never done this before. And she said, just trust me and be there in a week. And so I did. And my trusting in her vision for me led to a more than 26 year successful sales career for Fortune 100 companies. Nice work. So I'm encouraging your audience. Sometimes, even if you can't see it for yourself, when you're surrounding yourself with good people, you can trust in their vision for you until you can believe it for yourself. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yes. I tell people, you know, whether you're, you're religious or whether you're not religious, you know, faith is believing without seeing. And if you have that faith, you can get it done. Cause even when I'm working with, with my, my fitness clients, I'm constantly advancing them before they even think they're ready. And Hmm then they'll they'll accomplish the task and they'll be like, how did you know? I'm like, it's my job to know. <laughs> like you know, like it, it's my job to to see your abilities before you can see your abilities. Yeah. And it's the same thing in business. It's the same thing in sports. Yep. Like th- there was many, many times like as a captain of, of my track team, where like I'll go go to my other teammates, but hey, listen, Kyle, today's your day. Right? Today is your day. You're gonna crush that event. And he's like, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm feeling it. like I'm telling you, get your mind right. Today is your day. And he goes out there and he has a PR, you know, just it's Ooh. just sometimes it's something so simple, so simple. But by somebody else believing in you, it unlocks power in you. Yes. right, Yeah. It unlocks that power in you. And then when you unlock yours, somebody else in your circle is going to unlock theirs. And it's a pretty awesome cycle that happens as a result.
1: Exactly. I love I love that ripple effect. I think it's one of the reasons you and I love what we do, right? We know that we can touch and transform one life, but that, that life is going to touch and transform a lot of other lives. Yes. Yeah,
0: and people and people have to understand that regardless of what's happened in the past cuz have I made made mistakes in the past? Absolutely. I definitely have. But but people think just because they have doesn't mean that they can't get past it and move forward. You know, yes. like cuz I believe in just putting putting everything out on the table and then you're able to move on from it regardless of how bad it was. There's this, there's a young man Marcus Johnson I believe his name is he was in and out of jail multiple times. And this guy's on the verge of becoming a billionaire now, like a billionaire entrepreneur. Like, wow. he, he, he's got the face tattoos. He's got the gold teeth. Like, he's got the whole nine. He's got the jail tattoos. He's got it all. But he flipped it. He mm. completely flipped it. And he's just going around inspiring. Like, he he pretty much, I don't want to say he sticks to but his main demographic is, you know, at risk and in inner city youth. And he's helping them build generational wealth. You know, so despite his rough upbringing, he's he still flipped the script and now he's making an impact in the world.
1: That's awesome. I had not heard that story. What what how did he make his billions? What does he do? He's into digital marketing. Mm. Good yeah, for him. yeah, he's
0: he's crushing it. He he was a speaker at a, at a speaker boot camp I went to down in Atlanta a couple of years ago.
1: I'm going to have to look him up. That's an inspirational story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll I'll try to find, find his, web, his website and I'll send it to you.
1: Absolutely. And you remind me something that you said uh, is something I work with my clients on as well. And um, one of the talks I was invited, actually I was paid uh, six times last year to speak inside American Express and teach. Mm. And we're, we're going to get to it in a little bit about empowering questions, right? That's how I became known as the queen of reframe. Yeah. But, the, top, the title of my talk, three times I gave the same talk in different divisions, and it was um, Failing Courageously, How to Turn Small Steps into Giant Leaps. Mm, I like that. That's exactly what you're talking about with your clients, right? You, it's the small step, but you got to see it. And you help your clients just like I do, because we understand that all you have to do is take the next step. You know all the steps, right? Yes. Yep. You just got to take the next step. And so there I was, 26 years in corporate American sales sold over $70 million in revenue, walked the stages, got the awards. I thought I had it made, man. I could do this in my sleep. Mm. Until I got that call one day and they told me they were cutting my territory by 80%. And I was like, 80%? I've been building this territory for six and a half years. Well, you didn't have yeah. to tell me price, right? It was time to look for <laughs> So So mm. I, I was a weird salesperson. For all you people out there that say you don't like sales, I was a weird salesperson because I loved large corporate structure, and I'm a rule follower. And that is not true for most salespeople. Yes. So I a friend of mine whispered in my ear about an opportunity at a really small company. And I was hesitant at first because I like large, you know, structure. But off I went. And after two interviews, Robert, they hired me. They doubled my base pay plus commissions, gave me a director title. I could just see the potential. Now I had negotiated a vacation up front because I'd already paid for it in my contract. So six weeks into this job, I'm on vacation. Um, I don't know if I asked you this. Have you ever been to the world's largest hot air balloon festival in Albuquerque, New Mexico?
0: I've been to Albuquerque, but not to the not to the
1: festival now. Put it on your bucket list. Next October is their 50th anniversary. It's going to be phenomenal to go to that morning ascension and see hundreds of balloons rise at sunrise, all sizes and shapes and colors against a blue sky. It's There's a lot to see and do there, but it's just beautiful. So there we were on vacation. And at the time I was being what I thought was a good employee. And I was staying in touch with my boss while I was on vacation. I do not advocate that for my clients anymore, but at the time, that's right. What does Maya Angelou say? She says, we do the best we can with what we know and we learn better. We do better. So there I was, and I got an email asking my opinion on something. So I replied right back. And I waited because he usually, and he didn't. So we went out, we enjoyed our day. We came in that night and there goes my phone. Ding. It was like, Boston, you've got mail. And here's what it said. It said, Carol, comma, that's what you really think? And it had five question marks behind it. Then it said, don't bother coming into this office on Monday. When your vacation is over, you're done here. Wow. I don't get fired, I thought. I'm a great employee. (laughs) And I came back to Florida and I had an interview the very next day. And I interviewed, I was flown all over this country. Chicago, my goodness, I can't remember. Austin, Texas, Atlanta, Philadelphia. I was flown all over. Sometimes four, four interviews deep to crickets, to crickets. I mean, I was depleting my 401k because I was trying to do what? Stay in my comfort zone. So faith is my foundation. And many, many months into this process, I, I finally just kind of yelled at God. I was like, God, (laughs) (laughs) look, you made me, you know, I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. I do not want to own my own business. You've got to help me find a good job. And literally two weeks to the day from that prayer, out of the blue, I get an email from a woman that I met one time at a conference and she gifted me a thirty hundred dollar ticket to go to Los Angeles to study at guerrilla business school. Now, I tell people that my God has a sense of humor because Gorilla business school was a foundation school for entrepreneurs. <laughs> so I figured I don't know what I don't know. And what I'm doing isn't working. So off I went to Los Angeles. And the first thing I learned is you can't read the label when you're inside the jar. And we're yeah. all in a jar. We're all in a jar. Yep. And that's one of the things as the queen of reframe, I help my clients do. I help read label them, right? So they have a new label. So they can let go of that story from the past that you were speaking about earlier, their mistakes or whatever. Yep. And they can anchor into their future. But here, what was really key for me. Say that Say that
0: part again. It broke. It broke up a little.
1: And forgive me. I'm living in transition. I'm sure it's my internet. Um, mm. The last part is, I help my clients let go of that story that they've bought Everything. into that's keeping them in the past. So they can throw an anchor into their future. Yes. Who needed to be? So we said earlier, I love because how I say it, I actually say it's biblical that God says, "Call things that aren't as though they are." You must believe in then you see, which is what you said, right? Yeah. You've got to call things as though they are. And I was introduced to empowering and i was stunned and i was this is in 2015 and i was determined that i was going to master them so i began to study with the best the best i know is nirka um i don't even know if she has the last name i've i've been to her courses i've got her book and i've never seen her even have a last name so when someone says who's nirka she's half cuban from miami and she's amazing that's all i know now actually <laughs> she was um i'll give her a little plus tony robbins Salesperson, commission only, making multiple six figures for many years. Wow. He was game. very he was not happy when she left to go out and start on her own. So I bought her book and I read the chapter. I went to chapter 14 to start studying empowering questions. And I studied with Michael Strasner in leadership and, and John Maxwell, the, all the best, right? Yeah. And I kept myself. I kept looking for a job, Robert. I I just couldn't let go of that comfort zone. And it was at, Literally fall of 2017 when I learned a huge lesson because I had two coaching certifications and I was still holding on to three products. I want you to listen to this, folks. We hold on to things, right? And often the path that we fear the most is the path we're meant to be on. Yeah. But a big, a big lesson I learned at that time is that there was a huge difference between being committed and being convicted. Because I said I was committed to being a coach, but I kept dabbling in all these other services I was trying to sell in my comfort zone. And when I got rid of that and I understood that, let's face it, Robert, people decommit all the time, don't they? They decommit from your weight programs, right? Yep. They say I'm married for life until today I'm not, right? (laughs) But when you're convicted, you won't rest until you get it done. Right, and let, we have to understand. Let me
0: ask you something. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Let me write that down so we don't lose wh- where we were. Okay. So So, so was part of your hesitation because you weren't born from money per se? Because a lot of people have that fear. I, I even think. I, I mean, my my parents did pretty pretty well, but like we weren't you know rich rich. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, rich. So, is part of it that You know, like people who are well off kind of get labeled, you know, like they say like, oh, they're they're stuck up or they're this or they're selfish. They only think about about themselves. Like, did any of that resonate in your mind while you were still hesitating on moving forward?
1: I don't think it was that. What I think it was is that I people kept telling me, giving me clarity on this was how. Owning my own business was truly how I was going to be able to make enough money to help enough people that I wanted to help. Right. So that you make more money. Yeah, And I, th- I think it's two things. Nobody in my family was ever an entrepreneur. Yeah. All I knew was getting up and going to work for somebody else. Um, one of my biggest challenges in my own business was developing my own structure and my own set of rules. Okay. I was really good at following the rules when somebody else gave them to me. I mean, they loved me in corporate. Area. My paperwork was always correct. I didn't miss sell anything. I never lied to a client. Um, and so I think in my mind, I saw myself as a salesperson selling for somebody else. Gotcha. And so I think the fear was there, but you bring up a very good point. And I didn't learn this until 2016. I was in a mastermind. And, but back in 2006, I walked into the bank one day. This is when I was I was doing well in corporate America. And my friend, the little Chinese lady named Ken, I walked in and she goes, there's Carol, our next millionaire. Mm. That same week, I went to ABC Liquor. I used to collect wine. Yeah, And I had a couple of volts there. And the master sommelier there, I called him Uncle Fred. I was his niece, Carol. Mm-hmm. And he was my Uncle Fred. So yeah. Uncle Fred, t- Uncle Fred takes me back and I was getting some wine out of my vault. There was another gentleman in the vault. Fred said, I want you to meet my niece. She's our next millionaire. I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm not a millionaire. And I sabotaged my opportunity to be a millionaire. It yeah. wasn't until 2016 that I even recognized 10 years later, it took me to recognize that I had all these old files running in my head from my dad. Nobody needs that much money. You can't be a Christian and have that much money. Those people are so greedy. Mm. that, that was part of what was holding me back. Yes. Was with having this, a negative perception of money and not understanding that, that money's really, it's a tool. It's just a tool. Yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, and, and really that nothing has meaning except that, that, that that, which we give it. So I knew now that I could come from a place of choice. My dad gave money that negative value if somebody had too much. And honestly, I got to tell you, if you, say that, Typically are the ones that don't have much money, right? Exactly. It's judgment. It's just a judgment. And um so that was a big piece of it. And I think it was just fear of um, my coach at the time would tell you it was fear of success. Um, I think part of that developed in me was the pro- that's why I was procrastinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like I I I just told my mom just last week, because you know, I'm launching my my coaching program and i just told her i was like i'm excited I said but i'm not going to lie i'm a little nervous too <laughs> and then she's like why are you nervous i said because i mean i've done well with the gym yeah but i also had a couple bit business partners cuz i i always say i'm the performer like, okay. i'm not i'm not the production company <laughs> you know what i mean like like the production company they do all the back end stuff all the follow up and the artist just shows up gets on stage and wows the crowd like that's, that's me that's i belong <laughs> on stage so it's all that back office stuff that scares me. So and with my business partners I had a falling out with them. And mm. so now like I got that I got that trust issue like I actually signed up for your Facebook group. And oh, that yeah, and that was the question you're like what's your fear like like my fear is just trusting again. And cuz I know I can't get to where I want to get to on my own. So like that that's my own internal thing. It's like I have to trust again. And it's tough, but that's what was holding me back and i would just Mm -hmm. tell my mom i was like i know i can do this i was like i'm I'm getting on other people's podcasts on the regular people are coming on mine on the regular i said i'm Mm -hmm. getting opportunities left and right i said so i just know that i need that just that one person that doesn't want to be a performer they just want to be the production company (laughs) so and eventually i keep putting it out there and i'm gonna find that person
1: Absolutely. I mean, I tell you right now, one of the things that I did that hurt me is that I was trying to do everything. And I was the girl that was going to shake your hand and give you a hug. Yeah, that was me in corporate America. And so for the first two until COVID, that's how I was building my business. I went to so many networking events, you wouldn't even believe it day and night. And I but I loved it. And that's how I was building my business until COVID hit. And you talked about, you know, um, pivoting earlier. So there I am in April, We don't have time for the whole story, but last July, last July, I sold my house of 26 years that I thought I was going to live in forever to take the equity out, right. Mm. To pay off the debt. And so I could grow this business and God saw fit for me to move seven times in nine months. I'm someone who loves stability and routine. Like here's a quick story real quick, August 2nd, 2018. I did my very first workshop at Kaiser university. Okay. And then think about that August 2nd, one year later, I sell my house and I end up having to move seven times in nine months. The title of that course at Kaiser was navigating a successful course in the winds of change. Mm. And that is exactly what I've been doing. Much to the astonishment, I guess, you know, of of a lot of people. But um, I totally lost my train of thought there. (laughs) It's live. It's, I'm here. it's all right. Just pivot. Pivot. Uh, no, no. I know. I, know, I know exactly what I'm saying. You're talking about self-trust. And everybody that gets in front of me, I ask them whether they hire me or not. One of the questions I ask them is, do you keep your word more often to other people or to yourself? And without fail, except one time, they all said, oh, no, I keep my word to other people. And I said, do you realize that when you don't keep your word to yourself, you erode self-trust? it's insidious. Yep. It's insidious. So, you know, I'm so glad you joined my group. It's a new Facebook group. As a matter of fact, I'm get, I'm crafting a new freebie to put in there to give you five empowering questions. We'll talk about empowerment in a minute. Five empowering questions that you can use to begin to step into 2021 as your year with no fear.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. All right, All right. so let's let's get in into reframing. So, uh, yes. like I wanna hear your your definition of of reframing.
1: And empowering questions, and I'm gonna give a a golden nugget to your audience. If you're out there and you got a pen or paper, when you show up and listen to me, I'm gonna give you some golden nuggets. Or put put it in the chat. I I don't know if I can see the chat, but put it in the chat if you're here. An empowering question never, ever, ever starts with the word why. Why brings in defensiveness, which brings in the ego, which brings in emotions. And when emotions go up, intelligence goes down. That is true for every human being, right? And people equate that with negative emotions. They, Oh yeah, Carol, man, when I get angry, I'll say stuff I don't mean, but what about if your emotions are out of control the other way? And I say, what about the lady who went to Las Vegas to have a good weekend and she wakes up the next day and wonders who the hell's in the bed with her. And what's that ring on her finger, right? Her emotions, (laughs) her emotions were out of control as well. So an empowering question allows you to reframe from focusing on what isn't working, and it opens you to opportunities that you've never even considered yet. They cause you to get curious, to ponder, to wonder. They create what I call Oprah aha moments. Yes. And I had someone ask me about that. Wait a minute. The story she gave me was that she asked her kid why he got a D on his report card. And I said, well, how well did that conversation go for you? She goes, not well. And I said, instead of saying, why did you get a D, which makes them feel shamed and what? They get defensive. They want to defend their position. What if you had asked them this question? What one thing, because when you're asking empowering questions, you're looking for specificity. I have a hard time saying that you want to be specific. Mm-hmm. What one thing could you do differently next semester to improve that grade? She looked at me. I said, Do you think you would have had a different conversation? She's like, Yeah. I said, the other thing is, if that child comes up with the answer, they are way more likely to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So, when I say they allow you to reframe from what isn't working and open you to things you've never considered, when you get put an empowering question out to God or the universe, whatever you believe, here's the caveat your job is not to figure the answer out. You're telling God and the universe, I am open to seeing something, doing something, saying something, or having something I've never considered before. Remember, I said, can't read the label when you're inside a jar, and we're all in a jar. That's why we all need a good coach. Yep. I mean, you probably already know this. I don't know if your audience does, but at one point, Oprah Winfrey had four coaches. Yeah. And when she had four, she said, Well, nobody's an expert in all four quadrants of my life. And I want to know that I'm living my entire life at the highest level. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. I I, remember- have, I have three right now. Yep had yeah, like one, one for speaking, one for media and uh, publicity, mm-hmm. and then one for advertising.
1: Good for you. And that's <laughs> a big thing entrepreneurs need to understand is you have to invest in you. You have to be willing to invest in you. Yep. Let's if you're going to ask somebody else to invest in you. I told a, a new client that started with me a couple of months ago, I said, you have to be willing to invest at the level you want to play.
0: Yes. So true, so true. Yeah. Like I, I remember being on the opening teams for restaurants in the past, and we would always have so much staff on in the beginning, and the people just couldn't – like, like, the staff couldn't understand why. You know, there'd be, like, 20, 25 servers on, and they're like, why are there there's so many of us? And we like, because we have the staff for what we want. So mm-hmm. if we only staff for what we have, when what we want comes, we're going to be overwhelmed. And, and
1: thus, that, thus it, <laughs> that is so key. And it was something I did not learn right away. And nobody told me when I first started my business, you build the team and then you build the business. Because yes. if you build, you build the business and all of a sudden it's too big and things start falling through the cracks and dropping in the holes, and then that can hurt your reputation. Right. Yep, exactly. Like build the team and then build the business. Yep. And um, so that's a nugget. You can learn from my mistakes. Um <laughs> <about this. laughs> But for example, I had a client and um, she owned a dog training company. She just changed her name. She's like the second dog whisperer. She's really cool, like the mystic or something. <laughs> so uh, one day, when she first came to see me, I had an office back in 2018. When she first came to see me, she was on time. By the fourth time, she was so late, it was ridiculous. Now she came in, I gave her a hug, set her down, and I said, get out your pen and paper. We cannot let this coaching opportunity go by. And she kind of looked at me kind of sheepishly because we don't typically jump in like that, but I really wanted to, to do this. Yeah. Now, I want you to I want you to really listen to my line and what I did, because most people would have said what they would have said, why are you late? Mm. They, would have, they would have said that. Yeah. I said, I want you to write this down. She said, OK, I gave her two things to write down. The first one is how I do anything is how I do everything. Yes. Right. And she started to do what? what any human being would do to give me a defensive story about why she was late. And I said, no, 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 I don't need a story. Cause this is not about you being late. She looks at me and she goes, it's not. I go, no, this is about where else in your life are you not showing up for you? Mm. And she said, huh? I said, write it down. Where else in your life are you not showing up for you? You pay me in advance for my time. I'm not giving you any money back and I'm not giving you extra time because I have a schedule of clients that I keep. And so she says to me, is that my homework for the week? I said, honey, that's your homework ad nauseum. I want it on your dashboard, your refrigerator, your mirror, minimum eight times a day out to God in the universe. Don't try to figure it out. We yep. kept working with her. She was in my six-month program. It, uh, three months later, we're working on, on a business challenge, and she sits up real tall, and she looks at me. I said, what's up? She goes, that's another place I'm not showing up for me. I said, exactly. And as she began to gain that awareness, and then replace it with the leadership habits and principles I was giving her, we doubled her income in six months.
0: That's amazing, absolutely amazing. Like speaking back on the reframe topic, yes, it's what I tell people, it's what comes after the but is what sticks in your subconscious mind. So, for example, if okay. you know going into New years, you know, everybody wants to make more money. They want to lo- lose weight. They want to improve their relationships. The, those are like the big, the big three every year. Uh-huh. So using weight loss, someone says, "I I want to lose twenty pounds, but it's going to be hard." So what's mm-hmm. at, what's after the butt? It's going to be hard. So that's what's resonating in your brain. So if you flip it and you say, "I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to lose twenty pounds," so mm-hmm. now that that changes everything. So now you so now like you almost took away the excuse of it's going to be hard, but I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Mm. And like that's like the one of the first re- reframe tools I use with with my clients, whether it's fit, fitness or in business, because because they they always state the want and then they state the obstacle. And, then, and I'm like, if you do that, you're going to focus on the obstacle versus and focusing on the end goal.
1: What would happen if they didn't speak into existence the fact that it was hard? My clients, yes. we don't, we don't even speak that into existence. My clients do not use the word failure. Um, yep. I, I, one of the tools I use, I took from boating. Now I'm not a boater. I get seasick, like crazy, mm. but I, it's called tacking and all boats can tack. <clears throat> the ones that tack the most are sailboats and then, you know, your speedboats, and then your, your cruise ships, but yep. tacking, allow, tacking allows you to see success more quickly, celebrate more often and make effective mid course corrections very quickly. And so that's one of the tools I use with my clients, including with the art of celebration and empowering questions. So when my clients, when we put the macros in place to get to the micros, excuse me, the micros to get to the macros, mm-hmm. um, something doesn't work just right. It's we learn to do it without judgment. We don't say, oh, that was bad. That was stupid. That was a dumb decision. We say, mm, that was a learning lesson. What didn't work and what can we do differently? So one of the things I would share with your audience that I really work with my clients on is Changing the definition of the word success. Yes. My clients learn to change the definition. The the success is in the attempt. Because action begets action, right? Yep. I mean, indecision will cost you more than a poor decision any day of the week. Agreed. Right? Because you at least get into action, you can you can course correct or pivot. That's the word that's out through these days. Um, but it allows you to to mid-course correct. So When I'm talking about, you know, reframing from an empowering position, I believe that we create as we speak. And we have to be really careful. It's not just what we speak out loud. It's speaking to you up here. Yes. What if what if I didn't say out loud that it was going to be hard, but up here, oh, it's hard. But you're you're creating in your mind. And so I I encourage my, my clients. They don't even own that negative part. Don't get me wrong. When they come to me, they do. They come to me. And that's why that's just one of the tools that we work on. Yeah. And the, the queen of empowering questions, she would say something like this. It's January, 2021. And, and I am so excited to be quickly releasing 20 pounds and enjoying every minute while I'm doing it.
0: Yeah,
1: that, That's an empowered statement. It's specific, it's time bound and empowered statements. You have to create empowered statements to really, really craft. Uh, quality, empowering questions. And an empowered statement always has an embedded presupposition in it. Yes. Way too, way too much teaching for today. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's, it, it's foundational. And I, I'm going to give your audience this one because I'm feeling generous and it's going to be on my freebie anyway. Um, the most empowering of all empowering questions. But you have to remember the caveat. Your job is not to figure it out. What else is possible? whether you're in a situation that you're choosing to deem negative or even positive. I told one of my clients who was resistant to doing this. I said, I don't care if you win $10 million in the lotto tomorrow, you celebrate like hell. And you go, I just won $10 million. What else is possible? Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're, you're telling God, I'm open. I'm open to what else is possible. And I have client stories that I, I'm amazed that I get to see the transformation when people really adopt these empowering questions and put them into use on a consistent basis. It can be life changing.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like once, once the, the switch flips for, for people, like that's where my, my passion gets fulfilled as well. Mm-hmm. Same, same thing. Just watching people going through the, the, the negative emotions and just dealing with, with all, and then just watching it, just watching the change occur. And it's like, yes, like they got it. You know, they got it. Like that just lights, lights, just sold up on fire. And that's why we do what we do, you know, to help, to help people have those breakthroughs.
1: And, and one of the things that, cause I'm, I'm really all about personal accountability in leadership. And I had a client, um, he came to see, he was January of 2019, first of the year. He was mad as hell. For the first six minutes, I'm sitting there and he has stand up, sit down, F-bomb the wife and her business, F-bomb the kids and the budget and the cell phones. And I just kept sitting there saying, just say I choose. Just say I choose. Finally, after six minutes, he goes, OK, girl, I choose. <laughs> I, said, I said, awesome. I stood up, gave him a high five. And I said, sit down now, because now that you're choosing, you can choose to do something differently going forward, can't you? And he kind of looked at me. Interesting, I gave him homework for his wife's business, his business, you know, all these things. The next time I saw him two weeks later was the first time he came in dressed in business clothes. Nice, first time, and he said, "Here's my homework for this company. Here's da da da." Now, fast forward a couple of months, my clients in my six month program, they send me a prep sheet twenty four hours in advance of every session. Yeah. So that we don't waste time in telling a bunch of stories, I want to make sure I'm bringing full value for the full time to you. We hit the ground running. Yeah. So this one particular morning, this gentleman didn't do it. So he comes in and I give him a hug. Think about how I asked him. I didn't say, "Why didn't you send it to me?" Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. Your audience is gonna get this. No why. And because he would have gotten defensive. And I said, "He said, I said, I was looking for your prep form. I didn't see it." he? said, he up and he goes, "I chose not to send it." <laughs>
0: he boomeranged you
1: (laughs) true story so i said what compelled you to make that decision and he started to give me a story and he goes nope he goes that's just a story that i'm making up he goes i chose i own it i said and you can choose differently going forward yes he said yes he never missed another piece of paper so i'm telling this to your audience because there's power in choice and so often what I see is people give up their power. Like as they say, it's the boss's fault. It's the company's fault. It's my mm-hmm. husband's fault. Every time you give it up to somebody else, you're giving up your power.
0: So you know? true.
1: And then you're wondering why you're not happy.
0: Yeah. Right? With, with my business coach, every, every Tuesday we have a big Zoom call and we, we go over the core values and value number one is everything is your fault. Mm. Like yep. everything. It's like no matter what it is, if there's traffic, you didn't leave soon enough, you know. If you if you're leaving and there's a flat tire, you know, like you didn't catch it so, soon enough. Like everything is on you. Like there's no opportunity for you to point the finger anywhere else, because mm. like, you can only control your choices, your attitude, and how how you adapt and how you adapt to situations. So like he he hammers that part home every Tuesday.
1: It's important, especially as an entrepreneur. Um, I was on a, I was on a podcast the other day and I happened to say you know if your business isn't working it's your fault. Yeah. And this one lady looked at me and I said, yeah that's how I felt when someone said it to me. I'm glad they said it to me. Yeah. Right? Because we want to go, oh the automation isn't there or the funnel aren't there. Well, why aren't the funnels there? You didn't do the lead gen to get the funnel. Right? <laughs> but so, so often people there's I mean, gosh, there's just power and choice and being able to say I choose because then if it isn't working, you can choose differently.
0: Yes, exactly. It's all about adaptation. Yes. Yep. So like in my pr- process, the the, the seventh step, the, uh, uh, the seventh step is just <laughs> grind, adapt, grind, adapt, grind, adapt. That, that's it there's, there's nothing else in that module <laughs> just grind <laughs> and adapt grind and adapt <laughs> so as long as you keep doing that you won't have to start over you know because th- things aren't always going to go as planned you know there's this just just now like here in like rhode island's this big you know rhode island's probably the size of orlando <laughs> you <know>? Oh wow! <laughs> so everything here you can get to it quickly like all of our ma- major cities, they're all on top of each other. And so it's not like I went out to, to uh Colorado before and I went to three places and drove 150 miles <laughs> in those three three places. <laughs> here, here you drive 150 miles, you'll be almost in Pennsylvania. So like oh that's, you know, just, just to put it into perspective. So so here people take for granted mm. for times like, oh, I can I can get to the mall and 15 minutes then you get out to the highway and there's an accident and there's traffic now and people don't don't know how to act because you only budgeted 15 minutes Mm. yeah like i i do my best to be a little bit early no matter what what i do but but even still i budget extra time in case of traffic case of accidents whatever else so that way it's in my hands you know so i don't show up like oh well you know had to feed the kids or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you know, you knew this appointment was at this time. (laughs) So like, you could have fed the kids 20 minutes earlier. It's like, don't blame the kids, you know, blame anything else. Like, like you got to take that self accountability.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things I teach my clients is you go into a meeting late, you show up to anything late. Don't say, I'm sorry, because that's making it all about you. I want you to learn. I want you to learn to say, thank you for your patience. Let's get the meeting started. Thank you for your understanding. Mm. Make it all about them. And let me tell this one client. I mean, she picked up on that right away. I can't tell you how many times she'd say, thank you for your patience, Carol, because she'd send me her prep form late. I mean, she would say it every time, (laughs) but um, make it about them. Thank you for your understanding. You're right. Thank you for your patience. And then you hop right into the meeting. Cause like you said, you said it, everything else is, is just a story. And, um, You know, I tell people, you know, established female business owners and a few good men, right? Hire me because I do have a heart for raising up women leaders. I tell people when I walk into a room, that's all women are on a networking thing. I tell people I help women know their value, own their power and advocate for themselves so they can rise up and become the lioness leaders they were created to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so often And I see it with my male clients. My male clients will advocate for themselves much more quickly than my female clients. Right. There was an article in the um, Miami Herald a few years ago that I kept and a lady was allowed in to this big company's books. She got to look at everything that's going on in this company. Then she sits down with the CEO, older white male, and she says to him, I went through all your books. He goes, OK, she says, you give men promotions way more often than you do women. He sat back. He goes, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. And she said, you give men races more often and you give bigger races. And he goes, yeah, I do. Now, by this time, you know, the hairs up on the back of her neck being female and she's all been out of shape. And she says, why do you do that? There's that why word. And he said, because the men ask. They ask. So often women, women want to go, well, they see the work they should just know. None no, no. If you don't ask the answers always no. I want my female, you're going to rise up and be a leader. You don't want to just have a seat at the table. You want to have a voice at the seat of the table.
0: Yes. You know? Yes. It's like I do I do women's empowerment groups too. And sometimes you know people come in and they see me. It's like you know I'll have I'll have women there to to speak to the group but you know, I run it. I put it together. I decide the topics and everything. And then some people come in. They're looking like, you know, like a women's <laughs> empowerment group. And yeah. so, and and I always open with the same line. I said, if if you're looking for empowerment, it shouldn't matter who's delivering it. That's right. I said that's number one. <laughs> I said I I chose to focus on women because, like you said, men dive in blindly. <laughs> you know so sometimes men will jump into something that's not meant for them just because they can do it women are more calculated you know they're mm-hmm. more reserved and they're more like they're going to take in more of the info before they decide to act and so what what happens too with and again i'm not saying all i'm not lumping everyone into the same category but you know w- women are a lot more empathetic than men are so oh, yeah. So when people are going through hard times, sometimes other women tend to, I don't want to, I want to say this properly. Like they tend to identify, whereas men, we are not wired for empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so So sometimes we can just help people move on from that. And again, I'm not saying it's better or worse. Just some people need that style. Not everybody. It's kind of like training. Some people need a more gentler hand. Some Mm. people need somebody in your face saying, shut up and grind, (laughs) you know? So, so I threw my hat in the ring just to give a different approach. Cause like, I'm very stern with the women that I work with. I'm like, listen, I I know you're a single parent. I know you're this, I know you're that none of that matters. It was like, you know, when people bring up, bring up race, it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter where you were born, what you look like, what your gender is. It doesn't matter. If there's an end goal, you can get there. If you, right. if you want to get caught up in the coulda, woulda, shoulda's, you're not going to make it anywhere. And like and that's how I approach my groups. And then people that need that, it attracts them.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, statistics show that women won't apply for a job or a promotion unless they know they're 100% qualified. Men will do it if they're 60% qualified because they're willing to, like you said, they're willing to get in and they're willing to figure it out. And Another thing, at least with my clients, it's pretty all across the board that I help them with is setting healthy boundaries. And I had a friend. I had a friend. She's in corporate America. They loved her in corporate America. Why did they love her? Because she took on all the projects. She never said no. And she started having panic attacks. She didn't know what they were. Then they became full blown. She went to a doctor and she came to me and I said, what precipitated this? And she said that she had five projects on her plate. And three of them had major deliverables in the same week. And in that week, she was out of town for the other one. And I calmly said, did you ask your boss for some support, some help? And she goes, no, I can't do that. And I said, what would be the reason that you couldn't do that? She said, I don't want her to think I can't do it all. And her boss was a female. And no, you got to understand no is a complete sentence. You must have boundaries, right? And it's OK to ask for help. I know men deal with that, too, right? Ugh.